I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Specters, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots. I've got N7, the legend, here with me, reporting from a new location. He's all moved into his new place. How's it going, man? I am so psyched. You know why? I got some great news. I told you about it in mm-hmm. private. Mm-hmm. But the good news is I'm going to be a PAX West. Sweet. That's coming up here soon. And of course, it's in my city. It's in Seattle. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. I've never been to a PAX. I've wanted to go, but I've never been to a PAX. Same here. This is my first time. In fact, this is my first time really going to a major gaming convention. I've Mm -hmm. been to a lot of comic cons and things like that, but nothing gaming specific. Do you have like a like a list of where you need to go, who you need to meet, like anything like what games you want to try out? Do you have like a. So I have some people I'm going to talk to. I'm going as part of my day job and I got a media pass. So I have those people I'm going to talk to for my own thing. Um, but the media pass lasts four days and I'm not going to be working over the weekend, just Friday. So, <laughs> so, so I, I don't know if, if you know where I'm going with that, but I, I feel like, you know, it gets me in every day. Yeah. And I applied, you know, I did the right thing. I applied separately for each channel, you know, one for my day job, one for the lore cast sure. uh, to keep, to keep those things separate. So, so I did the right thing on my end, uh, but I am, I am psyched about going. I am very, very excited to see the largest gaming convention in North America. And you know, that the head of Xbox studios is going to be there. Uh, Reggie from Nintendo is Reggie. Be there. Good old Reggie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be fun. I'm gonna try and see what I can find out about Unreal Engine 5. Mm-hmm. Because that is the the engine, of course, that the next Mass Effect is going to be built in. Right, right, and it's available right now. Like you could you could start tinkering around, tinkering, tinkering around in it if you have. All you have to do is download the Epic uh, Games launcher. And, oh, really? I yeah, didn't, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely. Well, I have to you know, have to get in on that. Yeah, there's some free tutorials out there. Uh, my son has actually been working on learning some coding and video game making stuff. He was doing that some of that this summer. Um, so yeah, but uh, that's awesome. I hope you have a blast. Uh, we are we are back. We're doing this a little bit late this week because uh, yeah, find some migraine stuff Monday night. So this is this is Friday night. We will be back again Monday in just a few nights from now to chat with our patrons for the end of the month episode. But then after that, we're moving things to Fridays. We're going to be doing Friday night episodes. So the regular episodes will be coming out a little bit later, probably Mondays now for for the regular uh, regular listeners, if you're listening on an audio platform, if you're a patron, they'll probably be dropping on Sundays or maybe we'll do Sundays for everybody, Saturdays for patrons, something like that. We'll figure it out. But uh, just one wanted, wanted you to know things are kind of shaken up a little bit. But don't worry if things are a little bit late or on different days of the week. We're just kind of rearranging things because Sam's job stuff is changing. So um, but anyway, we're following up this week on Ashley Williams. We talked a lot about her last time. We got into the nitty gritty details, her her background, uh, being in the military, all of that kind of stuff. But I know uh, you you happen to be a little bit of a fan and uh, have some insight into her personality. I am. I'm an Ashley Stan, and I will be until the day I die. 
Um, I covered it in the last episode. I had a marvelous breaking of character where I'm no longer pretending to be impartial about these people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, but I am, no, I am very excited um, to talk more about Ashley Williams. And uh, of course, anyone who has played the games has recognized a few of these characteristics and, and personality traits that she has on the surface. She is, she's rough and tumble. Mm-hmm. but she's got a good sense of humor. She's a pragmatic bruiser, but you know, she's no nonsense and sarcastic. So it's not like she's, she's one of those, you know, stone cold, uh, no nonsense people. She's, she's There's got self-awareness there. Yes. Yeah. She, she, she's, she, and, and I think the sarcasm and the humor kind of level out those other uh, personality traits, give her a depth and a, and a sense of being down to earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's got this rough exterior, you know, this, this hard shell, I think that she keeps people at bay, but she's also secretly a hopeless romantic, you know, she's, she's, oh. she's, she cares about those things and she doesn't want to let a lot of people know, you know, maybe only the only person that might know on the Normandy is, is bro ship. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that before, how so much of her personality doesn't come through because of it's being hit in the romance options. And if you're femship, then you don't get to do that. Right. Yeah. If you play as Femshep and you don't like Ashley, you know, I, I'm not sure that I, I blame you because I understand you didn't get a lot of those things, a lot of those uh, background personality traits, yeah. a lot of that character development. You kind of, you're reason. kind of just get the rough exterior and then that's it. Yeah. Just maybe you maybe just think huh, she's bitchy. Yeah. You don't get it into uh, the, like the nougaty center. No, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> the nougaty center. That's a good way to put that. And, and um, she is in that way a lot like Caden. Caden, mm-hmm. a lot of Caden uh, romancers are like, how could you not like Caden? Yeah. Well, we yeah. didn't get to know that side of Caden. Sorry, uh, we just bounced off the the exterior again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So the and, very and muscly is, exterior, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting is like she's like the hardcore badass, but she's but she's breaking that feminine stereotype. Oh yeah. And then he, and he is very sensitive. I right. mean, he's masculine. Oh, he's yeah. Sensitive. So he's breaking that stereotype. Right, right. I, I had a side note. I had a conversation with my son recently about what it means to be a healthy, masculine person. And I've seen a lot of this on the Internet lately where people are like, oh, you have emotions. You're, you're not you're like this toxic masculinity. Right. And we were watching the Lord of the Rings. And the moment at the end of the first film, Aragorn is lamenting the death of Boromir. Boromir fell to the power of the ring. He made a bad choice. He tried to take it from Frodo. Spoilers, a 20-year-old movie. Um, but then he he asked for forgiveness. And Aragorn is there, like, weeping with him as he dies. And I had this conversation with my son. I was like, I was like, is this a representation of masculinism? Like, what, what masculinity? What do you think? And, you know, he's 12 years old, so he's just learning this stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, a man embraces his emotions he understands his emotions he's not afraid of his emotions he's able to share those things and empathize with other people like this is being a healthy human being right like that like that's important denying that you have emotions just like that turns you into a toxic creature it's incredibly important and i think it's it's a conversation that like is only really discussed in online forums ironically because people don't want to you know uh break that social mold and and say in in real life 
that hey i'm a guy that movie made me cry and, right. and you know what if, you, if you're if you're one of those people that 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 looks at at men who cry in movies as like you know oh you're a little bitch or somehow something like weak. That, i think you're part of the problem right right you're just denying it in yourself and you're afraid that somebody else is going to out that you have feelings is really what it comes down to or or more likely you had a really rough upbringing and you didn't have a good example of what it means to truly be a healthy male like oh, there's a lot going on there that we can unpack but uh to get back to your point like being somebody who looks tough and big on the outside but is actually like very caring and sentimental on the inside is i mean it's it's a cool thing but you don't get to it unless you have the romantic options right and that's not unlike life right yeah <laughs> you might get to know someone a lot better if, if you're closer with them so she's bold you know ashley is headstrong there's no doubt about that but that something again that, that kind of curtails that is she has this firm moral compass that seems to guide her actions mm -hmm. and she's not going to change that compass for you. Right. Right. Well, largely. that's what it means to, to stick to your to your beliefs, to, to your standards. Right. Right. Like you, you don't you don't you might change it based on, say, information that changes your mind, but you don't change it because someone pressures you to be different. Yeah. And, and, and so she's not going to change who she is, but I do want to say that there are a few caveats to that and a few aspects that we will need to go over in depth. And these are, so I already mentioned one of them. She counters this traditional aspect of feminine gender roles while still maintaining a lot of traditional views, traditional conservative views. Mm -hmm. She's also this, you know, like she, she plays into this trope of being the snarky gunner you know, in all senses of the word. So that's number two that we'll talk about. Number three, she is the warrior poet. Like Vivek yeah. from the Elder Scrolls. Exactly. That is exactly wow. the, 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 uh, the reference I was making with Vivek. Although she is considerably less enigmatic than he is. Oh God. She, and Vivek just like, let's not go there there's a lot going on with vivek. there's a lot there's a lot going on but i'm glad that you brought vivek up because we were just talking about how she has these like you know these qualities that would be off-putting if she didn't have the more human side of her mm -hmm. vivek mm -hmm. doesn't have that human side yeah so, yeah no no he's like yeah super super whacked out yeah right and and so so yeah we'll we'll get into that we'll get into the warrior poet and then number four religion we got to talk about the presence of religion and mass effect because ashley is a large vector where we see that yeah and num and finally number five that we're going to go over is redemption there's a strong redemption arc with ashley that often gets overlooked and, and we'll talk about why that is but first first we're going to talk about countering these traditional feminine gender roles all right yeah let's get into it i'm interested in this so, okay. So first, first and foremost, from the very moment that we meet Ashley, ironically, her armor is pink yeah, <laughs> and it's pink and white. And, and, you know, I've heard people go back and forth. Oh, it's red and white. It's, it's pink. It's pink. It, it's come pink. on guys. It's pink. <laughs> so she's wearing this pink armor, inherently feminine and a traditionally feminine color. Sure. Right. But she does a lot of these things that counter traditional feminine stereotypes. She tells you herself, don't put her in a dress. <laughs> right. I think, I think a male chef can, can, can make this chauvinistic joke about wanting to see her in a mini skirt or something. Uh, wrong thing to say to Ashley. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and I love this because I, I know, I know women who are like, I love pink. I love the color pink. 
but then you will like they wear pants like it, it like like they can have their cake and eat it too and that's fine because that's just who they are right exactly and, and cage nephilim in chat here says this is why i don't like ashley's glow up in mass effect 3 she's wearing heels mm-hmm. she's wearing heels right. yes it's true why why are you wearing heels in a military outfit well it's not even standard military outfit but but i understand what you're talking about she has her hair down her makeup's all done whereas in mass effect one she had a military style bun very tight to the head very classic of the women in the military uh she was not wearing makeup really noticeably anyway uh and she sure as hell was not wearing heels she was wearing boots Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so yes, I completely agree with you there, Cajun Nephilim, and we'll get into that as well. But um, speaking of the military, as is common in the military, women are are so cu- acutely aware of this sexist perception of them being weak and being emotional. Mm-hmm. And for those reasons, that, that perception says, well, they must be incapable of making decisions under stress, et cetera, et cetera, and, and all this other sex shit. Right, right. And so some female service members go above and beyond to silence those questioning the legitimacy of rank and position in their unit. And, and, and it's not really, it's not hampered by rank. It isn't, you know, I, I told you, we talked a lot about it in the past that my previous job, I was on a military base a lot. And I, I spoke with service members and their families all the time. Right. I saw many women in the military of varying degrees in rank, the commanding general of the fort was a woman. Mm-hmm. Commanding general. Yeah. And I heard sexist remarks about that all the time. So so it's not limited to rank. No, it and it's ubiquitous, unfortunately. It's one it of is. those things where it just like and I wish I wish we could move past these things. I mean, think about if you were to say like, oh, well, women are emotional. Like, think about how emotional men are most of the time. Right. Like when you actually think about it, the, the difference is that the emotions that men are OK with are extreme excitement and joy or and anger, anger. Like it's it's just two. There's just two. Those are OK. Everything else is wrong. And those don't get called emotional. Right. But even even the excitement and joy, you have to like color it with a tinge of anger because if, if you're doing it like Ag- a, aggressiveness like, yes right yeah. aggressive joy yeah yes yeah. i'm gonna hit yeah. you on the back i'm gonna give you a hug but i'm gonna slap you on the back right like F- that whole yeah. thing yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 exactly there's no there's no shades in between it's just that one or the other and yet men are the less emotional sex like what are you kidding right like, and that's why and we're all freaking comes. humans we're all emotional Come this on. whole conversation about snowflakes are hilarious because the people that are doing it are, are often the people who have been most hurt by something. That's why they're responding. Right. But I could get into everybody. It everybody's emotional. It's just how it is. Everybody poops. Everybody poops. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> everybody poops. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and, and Rob, the princess here in chat says, I don't know, man, if you're too happy, you could also say that's too gay. Yeah, right. You can go too far in that direction. Then all of a sudden your sexuality is in question. And it's like, really? Come on. Right. And I think Rob was also making the wordplay there. But um, yeah, but yes, (laughs) Yes. I, I, I completely see that as well. If you're a guy and, you know, you're acting too excited with not enough aggressiveness. Well, guess what? You're being a giddy schoolgirl. Right. which is right. considered an insult. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So, because that's a bad thing for a guy to be compared with a woman. Like how awful. Guy, yeah. Oh my God. Totally. Right. Um, yeah. But in terms of, in terms of Ashley, so she's not an officer. She's enlisted. 
And I still feel like Ashley has to combat these sexist perceptions, or at least at the very least, the responses and the characteristics of Ashley are our characteristic of someone who has historically had to battle that preconception that people had, you know, making these judgments about her the second she walks in the room because she has different hardware than her male counterparts. Sure. Right. Uh, and, and so Ashley is no exception, I think, but it goes far beyond that with Ash having another huge reason why she feels the need to prove herself. Ash addresses this directly to the player uh, in Mass Effect 1, and she tells Shepard that anyone with the name Williams has to be better than the best to account for the setbacks that come from the discrimination about her name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it, you know, before with the first contact war and her, her, uh, her grandfather being general Williams. And basically, you know, the, 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 the perception for Ashley is you've got to try harder to get ahead than most other people. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, right? You know, uh, there are a lot of characteristics that differentiate us from other people at the workplace. And sometimes, sometimes it's not just your grandfather. Sometimes it's something even more fundamental to who you are, like skin color or gender or all sorts of things. Right. Exactly. And, and you feel that, that kind of you, it's a palpable social feeling where you're like, I have to try harder than everyone else here doing Mm -hmm. the same thing so that I can get maybe an inkling more notice or recognition yeah before the show you and i were just talking about age being one of those things exactly up until you're a certain age people tend to assume you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to certain things in certain circles so like in career fields when most of the people you work with are a decade or two older than you you tend to be looked down on and you're questioned more harshly about your opinions on things. Sometimes that's warranted. Sometimes you legitimately don't have the experience and you don't know what you're talking about or you're the kind of person who talks out of your butt. But sometimes it's not. And that can be very right. frustrating. If it happens before you open your mouth. Mm-hmm. I think we have the answer. Right. right? Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, Ash is is certainly she communicates to the player that she feels that she's in the hole that way from the very get go from the second she was born and had the last name Williams. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, a lot of people can relate to that. Those who have had opportunities, maybe limited from disabilities. Sure. We didn't, we didn't discuss that economically disadvantaged people. Have you ever been in a room and been acutely aware that you are the least well off? Oh, yeah. And and there's usually very social things that that play to that, like uh, the type of clothing you're wearing or the kind of car you showed up in. And that makes you stand out and it automatically makes people look at you a little bit differently. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, we mentioned skin color, people whose skin was simply the wrong color in the eyes of, of, of law or management or what have you. Right. Uh, and it's not limited. You know, uh, we are, we human beings are very good at, at discriminating against each other, which is regrettable uh, to say the least. But I, the point is, I get it. Ash feels a similar pressure too, ironically. And I say ironically because she also discriminates against people. Uh-huh. Uh, and we'll get into that later. You know, we, we will certainly get into that later, but she combines these for the, for the sake of the, the countering traditional feminine, feminine stereotypes. She combines these impressive, phys- this impressive physical prowess. I mean, she is, 
really like a super soldier. And she has this aggressive combat nature and nature in conversation. And she has traditionally masculine bluntness with sensitive traits too, like poetry, like poetry. So, so she's very blunt. She's like a gorilla in the room, like no ignoring Ashley. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She's very blunt. She's going to make her presence known. Uh, but she likes poetry <laughs> and you know, she, she sums this up in this quote that she says in mass effect one, just because I can drill you between the eyes at a hundred meters doesn't mean I can't like the sensitive stuff. Right. Humans are complex. And I think we need to be okay with allowing people to be complex. I was just thinking that on the, on the drive home from work today, uh, how many, like, I think we need to sit everyone down for a, <laughs> for an adult conversation and talk about the fact that sometimes good people do bad things. Right. Right. And a single thing doesn't define all of you. Right. No. Yeah. No. And sometimes bad people do good things. Yep. Yep. And, and, and sometimes so, uh, yeah. people change. Sometimes we have character development in the real My world. God. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're, if yeah. you're at home or you're, you're in the car and you're listening to this and, and think about who you were 15 years ago. Think about the worst thing that you did. Yeah. Would you do that now? Right, right. If no the answer good. is yes, then what, what, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, like, where are you going? Right, right. You know, so, so yeah. So think about that. Would you like to be judged by someone uh, about your grandfather? Yeah, things that you absolutely cannot control. Right. Um, but, you know, the sensitive stuff brings me to my next point. You know, we brought up romance. Well, you can romance Ashley. God knows I love to. <laughs> and, and so, um, I'd like to, you know, there's a video that we're going to play. Well, I guess if you're watching this live, you can see maybe you'll, the video. You'll be able to see the video. Uh, I'll have it up. But uh, otherwise, but regardless, the important part is the audio because, and, and I'll paint the picture a little bit before we play this, because this is, if you've romanced Ashley, then, you know, after mass effect one, you have this very awkward scene with her on horizon you're part of Cerberus, but you've been dead for two years. And so it was a de facto breakup. <laughs> yeah. You were dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Ashley sees Shepard on horizon, but can she be sure that it's really Shepard because Shepard died? She saw it happen. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden Shepard is now working for this avowed terrorist organization. What the hell is that about? And so Ashley effectively breaks things off like, for good, you know, as far as a player knows at that time. Sure. And then afterward you get back to your ship a little bit later, you get this letter, you get this letter from Ashley. And I remember receiving this letter. I remember reading this letter, but then recently I found thanks to the two girls, one ship podcast. I found that the voice actor for Ashley recorded herself reading this letter to Shepard as Ashley. Oh, wow. And it was something that I had never seen before. This is completely new to me. And I'm sure for a lot of our listeners, this is going to be new to you as well. But this brings this letter to life. So why don't we go ahead and play that? Yeah, here we go. Shepard. I'm sorry for what I said back on Horizon. When I lost you two years ago, it tore me up. I prayed for you every day. I read a lot of Tennyson thinking about you. Just like I did when my dad passed. And then you came back. And it 
was like my prayers were answered. But I'm not who I was then, and neither are you. I don't know what's true anymore. Part of me can't believe it's really you. I, I keep going back to that night before Elos. Our night. I haven't let myself think about those memories in over a year. I wouldn't have expected you to work for Cerberus, but I know why they sent you to Horizon. I saw how many people were lost there. And if anyone can stop the Collectors, you can. I can't go where you're going, but I can wish you luck. Just stay alive out there, Skipper. I don't know what the future holds, but I can't lose you a second time. Ash. Death closes all, but something ere the end, some work of noble note may yet be done. Not unbecoming men that strove with gods. Wow, right? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That, that voice, I mean, uh, Kimberly Brooks, voice actor for Ashley, she nails that, uh, with the exception of Elos. Elos, <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be a, an Invermere, going to be a sticking point for a lot of uh, Mass Effect fans, and it, and it irked me a little bit. But wow, like this brings this letter to life. And I feel like just by that that clip of, of, of Ashley's voice actor reading that letter, you get so much more about Ashley's personality than we could have just explained right yeah i mean i see a couple of things here i see i see a person who is extremely strong and afraid to be hurt and she okay so these, these lines specifically are kind of what i'm playing into here i can't go where you're going but i can wish you luck just stay alive out there skipper I don't know what the future holds, but I can't lose you a second time that I don't, I can't go where you're going, but I can wish you luck. They're both in these extremely strong independent people who, who very much believe in what they're doing, but they both love each other very much and they respect each other's commitment to their duties. And I feel like that's really rare to see in relationships anymore. Well, I mean, anytime anyone uses the word anymore, it makes me wonder about the past. Right. But um, I'm sure ever, in general, ever, ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's something that uh, when you find it and if you were able, if you learn to be able to give it, that it is invaluable. Absolutely. I mean, so I work in journalism. Um, my partner works in medicine. It's we both have very independent careers. You know, um, there's no homemaker. <laughs> yeah. Us, oh, yeah. I mean, know? my my wife and I are the same way. She runs a research lab, right? She has a very right. important job. She's been working up to this. When we met, she was finishing her doctorate, right? Like from step one, there was no like, oh, yeah, she's just going to give that up and be a stay at home mom because she'll change her mind about where she's going with her life. You know, like there was no there was none of that. Like she was career minded from the beginning. And that's. 
that was just understood. Exactly. And maybe, maybe that's why I have a little bit of a soft spot for this Ashley romance because, because both of these are incredibly strong, independent people who are fulfilling their missions uh, that they truly believe in and that take a lot out of themselves. And so this, I can't go where you're going, but I can wish you luck. I can't go where you're going, but I love you anyway, Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. the message that that says, especially with the, I can't lose you a second time. Um, surprising amount, surprising amount of vulnerability there from Ashley, who is like we said, this person who classically has this rough exterior up. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're, they're like these warrior lovers. And, and the, and the, the thing that I love about this, this, this romance is they talk to each other on an equal plane. They don't, they don't talk down to each other. No one's being each other's savior. You know what I mean? Right, right. The mutual respect thing. It is yeah. it is the least codependent relationship <laughs> in Mass Effect, maybe. Um, and there's no power dynamic present, despite the fact that that Shepard is an officer and Ashley, you know, when they met, she was his subordinate. Mm-hmm. And, sh- and so there should be this this kind of distant power dynamic. And, and they, they certainly fraternize, <laughs> but mm-hmm. there's not. And they talk to each other like equals eye to eye. And, and I kind of, I love that about this relationship. Um, when one of them falls down, they pick the other up and it's this kind of like mutual, I don't know whether neither one of them is the other savior or maybe they're both each other's savior. Yeah. I think that's probably a better way to say it. It's, it's the mutual respect, mutual independence, but codependence. Like there's this, like they're not afraid to rely on each other. They're not afraid to be there for each other. They care about each other. But if it really came down to it, they'd be okay on their own too. Right. Exactly. They're it's, it's healthy. Literally, it's, it's actually a very healthy emotional state to be in literally and figuratively. They find themselves in foxholes together. <laughs> right. Right. And, yeah. and you know, uh, if one of them gets shot that other, you better bet that other one is going to pick them up and, and, and stand it back up. But then the person who fell down is going to stand back up and fight hard to pick the other one up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. no one. And so this is really important because no one can be strong all the time. Right. right. And so, and you know, we hear this, this, um, this trite, uh, kind of saying or idea that, you know, relationships, Oh, well I give 50%, you give 50%. And I kind of reject that. I think it should be both, you know, people giving hundred percent all the time. Right. Right. Um, and so we find we, there's a point in mass effect three where we kind of hear this, it comes out, um, when Shepard comes up and, you know, you make your final, uh, greetings or conversations with your squad mates and the people that you have worked with along the way. Well, when Shepard, the, the, uh, romanced male Shepard talks to Ashley, here's what she says. Commander. How are you holding up? Restless. Everything depends on this. Think we have a chance? There's always hope. That's how we got this far. And you made it happen, Shepard. You're the reason we're here. I've had people like you picking me up and dusting me off when I stumbled. Lost count of all the times you've saved me. Almost as many times as you saved me, hero man. We've had some great fights, Shepard. And I'm not just talking about the ones on the battlefield. You- <laughs> Is that where you want me to end it? Because that was the... 
the time signature you, you put on there. Yeah, that was it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they go on from there. But um, <laughs> Hero Man. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of my point. You know, yeah. like, so she tries to give Shepard the credit. You know, you're the reason why we're here. And then Shepard can respond and say, I've had people picking me up and dusting me off along the way. Mm-hmm. And and she replies, you know, and not just in the bedroom, Hero Man. <laughs> something, something along those lines. So that is Hero so, man. you know, so classic of, of Ashley. In that way, it kind of reminds me of Megara from Hercules, the Disney movie. Um, Gosh, okay. <laughs> yeah, another obscure reference, also one of my favorite uh, movies, but I digress. The point is that... Ashley and Shepard, you know, they look at each other like equals. And so that romance is really unique, at least to me. Uh, and, and the way that she ends that letter, like I said, I can't go where you're going. It evokes very strong memories of another passage of one of her and her father's favorite poems. And she ends that, that letter with a poem too. But, but this saying, I can't go where you're going. It, it is so, um, purposefully symbolic of Ulysses, the poem Ulysses. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about this last, last time, because there are definitely these like one-to-one correlations between the poems and the things that happen. Absolutely. In fiction, there is very little coincidence. Right. Uh, and so, so here's the part in Ulysses that I was talking about specifically that I can't go where you're going. Well, here's the part in Ulysses. Though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Heroic hearts. Right? Yeah. That is, and that is exactly the line that, I, that, I, that made me raise my eyebrows when I was reading this. One equal temper, temper of heroic hearts hearts yeah and if and if you think about it that is that is them that is ashley and shepherd one equal temper of heroic hearts and i i don't mean to say that that you know in this scenario uh shepherd is ulysses and ashley's penelope in fact i i meant to say that they're both ulysses <laughs> um but nevertheless ashley comes from this long line of military family right families where the children often love a parent who can't be there who isn't there right And Ulysses is a poem about a mythical hero going out on one last adventure. Ulysses, for all intents and purposes, was Ash's father. It was, but it was also her father's favorite poem. Mm -hmm. So why would it be your father's favorite poem? Unless you think about the fact that Ashley's father was General Williams. Ashley's father didn't get to spend him any moments with his father. So it, it tells us, it tells us a lot about this generational kind of this loving Yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. One, the same situation kind of replaying itself. Parent to child, parent to child. <laughs> uh, it is, it is. And, and it's, and it's, it's a cycle. And I think a lot of people who have, either been in a military family as, as part of a military family or know people who have, this might ring true. And one final thing about this poem, Ashley tells the player directly that she recorded herself reading this poem for her father every time he shipped out. 
How do you think that felt for Ash's father hearing his daughter reading this poem to him and he had experienced the same thing that his daughter now is? It's kind of a a reminder of like, I'm doing the same thing to my kid that my dad did to me. Yeah. And yet they still had this uh, undying duty to the Alliance and this, and this, this patriotic kind of thing that wasn't just for a nation on earth, but all of humanity. Right. So, but you know, on the topic of viewing parents as mythical heroes, I think we all do it. Right. Oh, I sure. Mean, sure. This is something I've, I've talked a about age. a lot. Yeah. Like you, you, you think your dad is Superman until you get old enough to realize that he's not, but that's fine too, you know? And that's quite the reconciling that you have to do inside your own mind. Right. When you learn yeah. that your parents have just as many problems and faults as you. Yeah. Yeah. They're just people. (laughs) So, you know, likely for Ashley to see her father this way, especially being brought up in a military family, your father is the the son of general Williams and is this, this mythical hero, you know, um, given how often she brings it up in romance scenes too, with Shepard, maybe she views Shepard as this mythical hero going away on yet another adventure. I, I mean, we could get into the philosophy or the psychology of this, but this idea that she would be attracted to Shepard, who is very much doing the same thing her father does this, like, I need to be there for the galaxy. I need to sacrifice my own wants for others. Like sh- he's the same kind of man in that sense. Right. And, and, you know, it's very overplayed. I think a lot of people know where I'm going with this, but there's a strong correlation between our parents' characteristics and what we like in a partner. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, Whether we're going we get, against that at the time or we go for it at other times, like in both ways. Right. Our parents' influence on us has a strong influence on who we seek as a partner. Right. Um, so I don't think Ashley would be any different. But this whole mythical hero idea, uh, if you can bear with me, is that you know if, if Ashley sees... Shepard as this mythical hero and looks up to Shepard because because of his duty and it's taking him away to save the galaxy and he has to do what he's got to do. It makes sense why seeing that mythical hero die that hurt less than seeing this mythical hero forsake his morals by joining Cerberus. Right, right. Because you, you die the hero or you become the villain, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 I think Ashley got to experience that you know, in real, in real time, you know, what the hell shepherd's back, but you're evil. Yeah. He's not the man <laughs> I thought he was that like that hurts a lot more. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. And so there's another poem. Uh, there's another poem that kind of came to mind and this is, I was doing some pretty deep literature analysis and research for this one. Um, so I'm going to have to top myself in, in subsequent character episodes, but basically <laughs> you remember last time I said that, Ashley's middle name is Mad- Madeline mm-hmm. and that was taken from a Tennyson poem. Right. Well, I was curious. So I looked up Madeline and it's kind of hard to find it. Um, it's not on most, you know, poetry orgs or anything like that. It was published in 1830. So forgive the doubt the dated language here, but the poem Madeline is about this uh, woman who clearly the narrator is in love with, um, but it's a contentious relationship. And so here I'll, I'll read this passage that kind of reminded me of Ashley and, and maybe those listening along can, can hear and see the similarities. So here it is a subtle, sudden flame by veering passion fanned 
about the breaks and dances when I would kiss thy hand, the flush of angered shame overflows thy calmer glances and over black brows drops down a sudden curved frown. But when I turn away, thou willing me to stay, wooest not nor vainly wranglest, but looking fixedly the while all my bounding heart entanglest in a golden netted smile. Then in madness and in bliss, if my lips should dare to kiss thy taper fingers amorously, again, thou blushest angrily and over black brows drops down a sudden curved frown. Mm -hmm. It's almost like by choosing the name Madeline for Ashley's middle name, her father predicted how upset she would be when her father left. Right, right. Or the, the writers the, are just making the association, but it's more fun right, to look at it in right, universe. In universe, right. um, yeah. Sure, yes. So, especially the lines, thou willing me to stay, wooest, oh, but when I turn away, thou willing me to stay, wooest not, nor vainly wranglest, but looking fixedly the while, all my bounding heart entanglest in a golden netted smile. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for literature fans out there. Uh, you might get a little misty eyed, uh, because that is, that is a very beautiful poem. Um, but it is, if we're diving into the psyche of Ashley, uh, it might, it might make a lot of sense. And at least for me, when I saw that, I was like, man, it all comes together. Mm-hmm. And then I truly appreciated the writing of this game, right? Like, <laughs> You're like, wow, good job. Writers. Wow. Like how deep is that? Whoever wrote that for Ashley, like props to you. I'm not quite sure. Um, but that kind of brings me to another point that I just want to nail before the mid break, which is this snarky gunner trope uh-huh. that Ashley has. You know, the, if you're unfamiliar with the trope, it's, it's the sarcastic ace shot. Right. He's a crack shot with a sniper and he's a smart ass too. Right. I have a feeling this goes way back like to Westerns and things like that. Right. Like this is one of those movie tropes. Yes, absolutely. And I can see it in Westerns 100%. You know, like he's the best gun, the fastest gun in the West. He he doesn't care what anybody says about him. He does what he says and says what he does or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's a quick draw and he's quick on his lips too. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is funny because that's basically Garrus. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So we've, we've got two snarky gunners on the team in Mass Effect one. And I'd like to read a little bit from TV tropes. Uh, For those of of you who don't Mm -hmm. know this website, if you're curious about any fictional character, like ever who might exemplify some tropes, you might be surprised. Absolutely. Like, and, and if even you try writing something and you write something, you think, oh, this is 100% unique. Go look up on TV tropes. It's not. It's not, it's not unique. It's not unique. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and actually, if you're writing something truly unique, guess what? People are probably not going to like it. And they, yeah, that's the other side of it is that we like the things that are familiar. Yes. Um, yeah. So so TV troop tropes, TV troops, <laughs> TV, troops. <laughs> TV tropes has this to say about Ashley. Given that Ashley has considerable prowess with a sniper rifle and automatic rifle uh, is frequently cast as a deadpan snarker and in the first game was something of a noble bigot before character development. One could make the argument that she's essentially the human female equivalent of Garrus Vicarian. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's pretty well stated. <laughs> and all of the Garrus fans just free. <laughs> you know? Like that's not my Garrus is not Ashley. Um, but yeah, you know, when the shoe fits, right. Um, and she, and she hides a lot of vulnerability that way with the sarcasm. Um, she tells Shep 
in sparse moments that she doesn't want to lose them. Right. And then quickly snaps back to the snarky gunner, uh, yeah. modus operandi right right the the that shield to protect your emotions and things right right yeah absolutely man this has been awesome um we've got to take a quick break here to thank our patrons and we've got a review to read out so we'll be right back with more stuff about ashley all right so everybody knows how vpn services and expressvpn can protect your privacy and security online right but did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries. So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever Hulu BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect expressvpn.com slash mass effect to learn more this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears call click or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, we've got a new patron, Zachary R. Welcome to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast. You can go check out all the different tiers, all the awesome stuff you can get for helping to support us, and the ability to join us on our end of the month patron episodes, which reminder is coming up in just a few days on, on monday so by the time you're hearing i'm going to try and put this out as fast as i can so hopefully you're hearing this before that episode gets recorded um, but if you're not then hey so you know you can join us also we've got to shout out our shepherd tier patrons they get shout outs every week we've got Kolkashins, captain shanko kira c lieutenant tocino pipe man studios and big bills 63 thank you so much to all of you guys and to all 64 of our current patrons you guys are amazing you help us do this every week this is a full-time thing for me it's a major side project for for sam here and we couldn't do without you guys also we got a new review in if you want to leave us a review on apple podcasts even if you don't listen on the platform if you have an account you can do that if you leave us a five-star review we'll read it out in the future this one says n7 out of seven stars this is by ice by a kelsey i think is what that actually comes out to from the u.s who writes five stars just found this podcast a few weeks ago and have been listening daily to catch up to the current Robots in N7 bring an enjoyable dynamic to the lore by relating to real-world events and witty banter. Hey, we're, we're witty. Um, I appreciate the community aspect they have built, bringing people together under sh- a shared passion for the games and look forward to joining future discussions. 
So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Also, if you want to leave us a review on uh, Spotify, then that's a, a place you can do it as well. All of that stuff helps our show get out in front of more people. So big, big thanks for everyone who helps with that. All right, let's move on with the rest of the show. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. All right, so let's get into the other elements of her personality. Now, um, one of the big ones you mentioned was religion. And this isn't something we dig into a whole lot on this show, but it's clearly a major influence on people, right? It is, yeah. And canonically, um, Catholicism still exists in the Mass Effect universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, we know that because the elusive man and Cerberus had assassinated the Pope yeah, at one right, time. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's why we know Catholicism is still around. Mm -hmm. um, and working so, just like it did centuries ago. <laughs> still turmoil. <laughs> still people assassinating popes. <laughs> um, so, so Ashley, she has these deeply held religious beliefs. They're non-denominational. She doesn't, it, it appears she believes in the Abrahamic God. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's, I think, hesitant to talk about this on the ship because she's afraid of what other people might think. And that's kind of fourth wall breaking because of how religion and God is depicted in sci-fi universes, right? It's like predominantly atheist. And if you believe in God, you must be a fucking idiot or something. I don't know. Yeah. Usually what, there's some sort of dynamic between like people who go way too far on one extreme or the other. There's rarely more moderate people who are like, I have these beliefs, but it doesn't make me do crazy things, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so it, I don't know. I mean, I was thinking about this in terms of the way that mass effect one kind of brought religion into the game. And, and on one hand, I, I don't like the fact that the one religious character that they made as a human was also the one who had xenophobic things to say. Right. Um, right. On the other hand, I understand why they did that. Oh, because sure. Because sure. those with traditional point of view, right, they might, you know. It also brings a question, and this is, a, we don't need to go deep into it on this episode, but the question of for, uh, in a, 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 for let's just say Christianity. I was going to cast the web wider than that, but just for, let's say Christianity, where you believe in a human savior who comes to save all of humankind, a future where we realize that there are other intelligent personalities out there in the universe, intelligent creatures really throws a wrench in the whole thing. Like, well, did they go mm -hmm. to their worlds as versions of their race in order to save them too? Like, how do you justify that? It becomes a big question, right? It does. Uh, but then, you know, maybe we should review the original, uh, you know, Aramaic and Hebrew of the Bible to see how often it mentioned humans. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of yeah. beings. Right. Yeah. But it, it makes um, sense. It, it creates a, a dilemma that oftentimes people would have to well, like if, if in our world, like if we were to discover, oh, there is un, you know, uncontroversial. Un, uh, I don't know the right word here. I'm losing words. Uh, uncontested proof that like there are intelligent species on this other planet we just found right and that they're doing things that are capable of the same things that we can do right they have space flight they have high levels of technology they have a high functioning culture all of these things then the question then becomes well how do you how does your faith accept that and one of the responses to that is simply to say well they're not human so they're therefore even if they look capable of these things they must be lesser than us 
And maybe that's where her xenophobia comes from. I, I think it, it probably comes from less of a religious point of view and more of a uh, militaristic, you're the enemy kind of point of view. Yeah. Or combinations um, of all of those things. Or combination. Yeah. People are complex. So, yeah. so it's probably not one thing. Um, but I, but I did want to just, you know, uh, give credit to the writers of Mass Effect because the way that they introduced the religious aspect of Ashley was very much not shoving it down your throat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was more natural. It was less right. Like they were trying to make a point. Right. That, that they were trying to make a point that some people here in this, in this, you know, fictional universe, they still do believe in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't go around proselytizing like the Batarian preacher on, on, on Omega. Right. Um, right. so, and, and yeah, and the, and the way that she kind of brings it up is that how could you not, how could you not believe in God with all this beauty of the universe around you? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and then you could, you could argue the point, point, well, how could you not respect alien societies as being equivalent to human societies with where it just obviously looks like they are. Yeah. Like, right. And yeah. <laughs> she's hypocritical. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, but that's human. That's a very real trait. Like we all are yes. like very rarely do we actually keep our beliefs in line across all different topics. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she says that her faith is strengthened by her work in space, not diminished by it, which I think for people who are religious and they're listening to it, mm-hmm. I think you can understand that. Uh, right. You know, and, and I'm as, as being someone who had their parent pass away at a young age, um, she, I identify with this next part of with an Ashley. She believes that her father who had passed away is with God. Um, and I would venture to guess that when her father passed away, it probably strengthened her faith too. And that's not the case for everyone. Some people, mm-hmm. they go through a real reckoning with that. It usually pushes you in one direction or the other. Right. It is, it is a exactly. crossroads. Yes. Um, and I think for Ashley, it probably strengthened her faith, um, which is interesting because we also hear points of view in the Mass Effect universe of space being this dead, cold, desolate void right where there is nothing there's you know it's very anti anti transcendental the way that they talk about it mm-hmm. um, where she comes and, and the, from a more like naturalistic religious perspective of like the wonder of creation right and 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 you would think that that would be more prevalent i guess among other scientists because you know they're getting to see exactly the fruits of of labor of of generations hundreds of years of of humanity's finest now they're venturing out into the stars and so they're they're getting to see the actual uh reality behind the calculations and yet ashley has this point of view as well and she's no scientist uh so like i said about her depiction in the comic this comes into play when the excrement is hitting the rotating blades on the ceiling. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, the enemy is surrounding her, has slaughtered her whole team, and she's stuck behind this rock that was getting pummeled with energy blasts, and, and she takes a moment to pray before summoning the courage to face her fate head on. She, she says, you know, God, throw me a bone here. It can't end like this. Mm-hmm. It can't. And then she, she summons the strength from her faith, which whether or not you believe in God, that inspiration for her was very real. And she was still inspired by it. Mm-hmm. 
And so if you're looking at it from a utilitarian point of view, did it do her good? Yes, it did do her good. Would she have maybe been able to summon that strength without, without God, without her faith? I don't know. Right. And we, you can't answer that question. That's an right. impossible question to answer question. because we do not have that scenario. But what we do know is that she did summon that faith or she did summon that strength from her faith. And, and in that respect, it's a good thing that she had her faith to, to get her out of there. Right. Um, right. And so, of course, there is never an atheist in a foxhole, a trope that she herself recites to <laughs> Shepard. Right. Uh, or I'm sorry, Shepard recites to her. Never, never an atheist in a foxhole. Uh, and she kind of pushes back about it. And. Uh, if I can remember right, I might be wrong, but I, I think there's a joke made after that, that, yeah, we've been in a lot of foxholes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so the, I, I just wanted to go over that aspect of her personality, this religion, because it is important to her, even though she only brings it up a couple of times in the series. Um, it's intensely personally important to her. Mm -hmm. It's not important to her to force other people to accept it. Right. And not in a theoretical sense, in a very living, real kind of sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, now this leads me to probably the moment in the show that a lot of people were anticipating <laughs> is that is Ashley racist? We're going to talk about racism. That. Okay. So yeah. what, do you, what do you think? So I think it's a complicated question. I think that she certainly has xenophobic views and racist things that she says. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll start off with that. But I want to walk us through exactly, you know, it would do us a disservice to just say, yes, she's racist. She's an awful person. Leave it at that. End of the show. We're not talking about Ashley anymore. It would do us a disservice. We're the Mass Effect lore cast. We're going to talk about uh, why these characters might be the way they are. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, was she racist before serving with Shepard? Well, she certainly doesn't trust anyone who isn't human. Right. But I think we should ask ourselves why before dismissing her character as it's written, which, by the way, I think is is a problem with fictional fandoms now. Liking a character, and we've talked about this before, liking a character versus appreciating that they are a well-written character right. are two different things. Very different things. You can like a character. You can appreciate the writing of a character that you despise, and that is a hundred percent okay it is i i despise the elusive man yeah and i think yeah. he is one of the best villains in gaming right well especially a villain but but i guess even more nuanced are characters that you have like these like middle imper like questions like this which is it's like eh, it seems like a negative trait but a generally good person like that kind of thing and and going well i appreciate the writing because that's real because it's not black and yes. white. It's a very gray, regular kind of person thing. That's how real people are. I appreciate that. I may not like her very much, but I appreciate that she exists in the story because that's how real people are. Right. Exactly. Good people do bad things. Good people say bad things. Right. Bad people sometimes do good things. None of us are at the end of our stories. That's the other thing is that right. we're all in the middle of our story at all times. Yeah, that's it. That's very well put. Um, and that we'll talk about in Ashley terms in a little bit, because I have a lot of thoughts on that one, but, <laughs> okay. but, uh, Ashley, you know, another reason why she might be the way she is. So, okay. So she served as a grunt in a human only groundside assignment over and over and over again, where the goal purely was to defend human colonies from terminus systems, raiders, who were those raiders? 
They were Batarians mm-hmm. who made it their, you know, avowed goal. The Batarian hegemony made it their avowed goal to oppose humanity in all its forms when they lost that political battle, you know, with the Citadel for colonization rights. Right. She so, was trained to villainize aliens. Yes. I mean, think about it. Her her grandfather was a general during the first contact war when we first met aliens Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they tried to wipe us out. They were taking out entire city blocks on Shanxi to decrease human morale. That was her grandfather's first run in with aliens. Right. right. (laughs) Um, And then after that, you know, fast forward, Ashley enlists. Now she's a grunt in human only ground side assignments and she's on human colonies and all the, the greatest action that might come is from Batarian slavers. Mm-hmm. I don't think she has a lot of exposure to aliens who are not the enemy. Right, right. Yeah. And she, yeah, she's not like having coffee with the Batarian uh, humanity group. <laughs> like that's helping people. And they're, you know, like he's, she's seeing the worst of the worst. Right. And she's in the alliance. Yeah, there. You know, at, at that point in Mass Effect, there are, there are no aliens in the Alliance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's human beings. I don't know that defending. Batarians have a humanitarian group, but or a Batarian group. <laughs> Batarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, if they um, did, she's not having conversation with the, with those guys. The better Batarian Bureau. <laughs> Batarians. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's not like she has a lot of uh, exposure to other people and, and kind of breaking the, that fourth wall again in real life. If you meet someone who's racist, I'm willing to bet that they probably haven't had a lot of exposure to other cultures. Absolutely. That's almost always the case. In my experience, that's almost always the case. It's the people I've who lived from tend to be more like that, tend to be very or much less likely to spend time with people who are distinctly different than they are. Exactly. I've lived from coast to coast now. I've lived in the most liberal parts of America. I've lived in the most conservative parts of America, all across the political spectrum. And you know what? I've seen a lot of racist people in the liberal parts. I've seen a lot of great understanding and welcoming people in the conservative parts. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the people that I've noticed who have been the most xenophobic, who have been the most racist, they just, maybe I have too much faith in humanity. I just think that they need more exposure to people who are different from them. And they'll see that there's no reason to be afraid. Absolutely. Yeah. We have way more in common than we have different. Right. And I think Ashley is no different here. That being said, is, is she racist? Right. We come back to this question again. I say this next point says no, because even she disavows herself from this earth first party, terra firma, it's this political party that's trying to gain power in the human, uh, the systems alliance parliament, terra firma, strong earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what it means. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it's very much, it's reminiscent of, of authoritarian right-wing pol- politics. Uh, and she disavows herself from that. She used to have a connection to it. She says, not anymore. They are too radical. They're supremacist. And I don't want to be part of it now. And she flat out hates Cerberus. <laughs> yeah, right. She she has a militant hatred for Cerberus. Mm-hmm. Who yeah, is you don't the, get much more pro-human than that. Right. The, yeah. the preeminent pro-human group right. uh, who is a terrorist organization. She hates them. 
She does not like them whatsoever. So she has conservative views. She is xenophobic at the beginning when we first meet her mm-hmm. and she hates Cerberus and, and she, and, she, and that's regardless of Shepard's actions, by the way, she even calls them jackals. Right, <laughs> I mean, right. So she's, she's likening this, this militant far uh, right group, this authoritarian group as, um, as, as these awful, you know, jackals. Well, they feed on the she, corpses of other animals, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. Carrion uh, right. birds, basically. Uh, so this is besides the fact that, that, you know, she and her family are discriminated against by alliance leaders because of her grandfather's decision to surrender at Shanxi. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what does that mean? Basically it means that besides all of that, besides all of the crap that she's had to deal with, she still dis- distances herself from terra firma. She hates Cerberus and to the point that she's willing to shoot Shepard for under the suspicion that Shepard is still acting with Cerberus. Mm-hmm. She breaks off, breaks up with Shepard, despite the fact that Shepard's, you know, alive again mm-hmm. because of Cerberus. I can't believe you'd work with them. You know what I mean? And, and, and by the way, if you don't really repair things with Ashley, but she's alive, and you see her again in Mass Effect 3 and you still don't repair them. If that situation where Udina, you know, this the standoff with Udina, you find out that Udina is the Cerberus mole and trying to get Ashley to back down, but she's been assigned to uh, protect Udina. If you can't get her to back down and you have to shoot her, she tells you, I hope you go to hell. And, yeah. and, she, and you can say, damn it, Ash, he was with Cerberus. <laughs> right. And then she'll say, so were you. And it's like, whoa, yeah. that hurts. Oh, man, you've been holding on to that for a while, huh? <laughs> How long has that round been in the chamber? Exactly. Yeah. And, and Rob, the princess makes a good point here in chat. You can hate the KKK and still be racist. Yes. Sure. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Right. Although I'm not sure that that's a fair comparison for Ashley. <laughs> like, um, because she goes through a much, she goes through a development. Like you just said, her story's not over right. at mass effect one. But if you choose, if you choose to not bring her on, on the missions, if you choose not to talk to her in mass effect after the first, you know, racist thing you hear from her in mass effect one, then I guess, yeah, her story's over because well, you're, you're probably going to, s- your picture of her stops there. It no longer right. continues it- to develop. And and players can sacrifice her on Vermeer. And then guess what? Her story really does end there. Right. It doesn't. That's who she was. That's the most she'll ever be. And that's it. Boom. Done. Yeah. The the version of her that evolves in with the character arc into Mass Effect 3 never happens. Right. Exactly. And I find this to be tragic. And here's why. Okay. So General Williams, her grandfather, is in this Mass Effect comic called Mass Effect Foundation, or I'm sorry, Mass Effect Evolution. And he actually meets Jack Harper, none other than the Elusive Man. Mm. The Elusive Man is a mercenary under the general's employ on Shanxi. That's how they meet. Well, there's a scene where they're talking in the med bay, and General Williams is this stereotypical battle-hardened guy that you, you know, think of Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino at the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Typical grizzled vet from a World War II movie. You know, fuck the insert Nazis, derogatory whoever, enemy sure. name here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And according to Ashley, General Williams was brought back to Earth in handcuffs after surrendering at Shanxi. 
This is according to Ashley. So keep that in mind. This is the filter of information we're getting this through. Mm -hmm. While no official charges were brought up against him, Williams was demoted. He was assigned to desk jobs. And Ashley says that he even retired one year after Shanxi's liberation. And he ended up working as a construction guy out in the colonies for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Like there was once an ugly barnacle, so ugly that everyone <laughs> died. The end, you know, I, I don't know if all of this that Ashley tells us is true. Right. Right. The reason being, and I thought it was true. I didn't have a reason to doubt her really until I read mass effect evolution. And that's why I brought up that scene where he's talking to Jack Harper in the med bay, because here's what uh, general Williams says. Yeah. I'm damn sorry about his slop. He was a good kid. I left a lot of good kids out there. We were on the verge of winning, but now the Alliance wants us to suck face with the Turians. Also, we can curry favor with the Citadel bunch. Mm -hmm. And think about that. It's still brand new to humanity who this Citadel is. This, 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 uh, you know, political group of aliens came in and stopped the Turians from annihilating humans. alien power. That's somehow important, but I don't understand it. Yeah. Imposed a ceasefire. Right. And, you know, uh, and so, and then general Williams says more, more money talks. So he's dismissing this, uh, this, you know, trying to work with aliens as, as a money play. And he says this to Jack Harper money talks. And then he mockingly says cohabitation with native species to further mutual interests. It's the way of the future. Well, I can't get on with that. So I'm resigning, but you shouldn't quit. (laughs) (laughs) now general williams says i'm resigning yeah he wasn't fired right right it looks it the more you describe this it seems like he was a scapegoat yes he was a scapegoat and i think he was also racist oh probably (laughs) you know yeah yeah. He, he he saw all aliens as the enemy. He didn't want to trust them. He didn't like them. He said cohabitation with native species to further mutual interests is a mere money play from politicians. So he clearly didn't believe in that. And that's not surprising from someone who has spent their whole life in the military. Right. Uh, viewing life down the barrel of a gun. Um, it also so sounds not, it also seems like these are the seeds of Cerberus. It, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Like this conversation um, between the two of them, Jack Harper and him having these situations living through them and Jack Harper seeing his reaction to them. It seems like a way of seeding certain ideas. It does. Yeah. And and, and shortly thereafter, that conversation, or I'm sorry, um, I think it's before that conversation. Jack Harper has this vision from touching a Reaper artifact by proxy. Mm-hmm. He tried to save this guy that was with him, Ben Hislop, who touched the Reaper artifact. He tried to pull him away. And when he touched Ben, he got this uh, remnant, you know, kind of Reaper vision where the Reapers spoke directly to him and said, you know, we are inevitable. We're going to destroy you. <laughs> but he didn't know what the Reapers were. Uh-huh. So he thought it was from the Turians. Right, right. Yeah, which is going to so, freak you out for sure. Going to freak you out 100%. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're you're going to double down on that. You know, they're the enemy kind of philosophy. And maybe extrapolate that, extrapolate that to all aliens. Um, so it's an interesting, you know, uh, thing about General Williams and Jack Harper. But the reason that I bring this up with Ashley is because penalizing the grandfather and his family for surrendering to save lives because it was to those, quote, damn aliens sounds a lot more racist on leadership's part. And 
yet the irony is when she's given the shaft, when Ashley is given the shaft, instead of directing the anger where it should go, where it should rightfully go toward leadership, mm-hmm. she like so many others in real life, she falls into that scapegoat dynamic that has been set up already. And she blames the aliens, I think for her own hardships. Right. Right. Cause it's a shorter path to something. It's right. it, it also already hated, right. They're already hated. You are like, it's gotta be them. It also uh, creates an enemy that you can't actually affect or do anything about, which allows you to just kind of like boil in the hate rather than being right. able to act on it. Yeah. Because you're exactly. not looking for a solution. You're looking for validating your, your emotions in those kinds right, of situations. You're angry. Right. You need to validate your anger. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I'm bringing this up because this is who we're meeting when we meet her in mass effect one. Mm-hmm. And it's who you will know if you choose to end your story with Ashley there. Right. So at that point, I think it's pretty clear. You can just say, yes, at that point, it seems like a fair label. She seems very racist at this point in the story. Yes. But I will argue that if you don't end her story there, you will see that she's not some unredeemable, hateful racist. Right. Right. She does practice empathy for aliens on a number of occasions. And I have them listed here. So number one, after Benezia, matriarch Benezia is killed or dies rather from wounds sustained during battle with Shepard. Ash encourages Shepard to talk to Liara, figuring that she has to be hurting over the loss of her mother. Okay. So she does have empathy. Mm-hmm. She might be xenophobic. She might be a little racist and say those racist things, but she's not, this monolithic thing that doesn't have feelings for anyone different from her. Right. So I find this a lot of times in in real life, when you take things out of the abstract, when you make them concrete, people are a lot better than you think they are. Right. Yeah. And of course, everything's more nuanced than we ever gave it credit for being right. Yeah. Right. And so, and she, again, and that's not a one-off thing. Ashley again, empathizes with Liara after the Thessia mission in Mass Effect three. If you remember in Thessia and Mass Effect three, uh, Shepard goes there and the whole planet is just in ruins. Mm-hmm. It's tattered. It's messed up from the Reapers and it doesn't look very good for the Asari who have never been invaded on Thessia ever. Um, and it's hard for Liara to see that. But how many people actually thought about the other squad mates and thought like, oh, my God, Liara must be hurting. It takes it takes a level of, of, of empathy to think that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you have to see somebody as at least an equal to want to empathize with them and feel feel for them in those kinds of moments. Yeah, exactly. Crystal King here in chat says it's a weird kind of hypocrisy when you say bad stuff, but act like a de- decent person. Well, how many times do we say things that don't align, align with our actions? Or we say things in one group and then we do actions in another group because the social structure and dynamic changes from group to group. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So, and depending on Shepard's choices. So I saw that awesome ninja brought this up earlier in chat, depending on Shepard's choices, you can mold Ashley and show her the error of her ways. And she's open to it. She's not going to be like this stubborn old racist that doesn't want to change, you know, like I said earlier with exposure to different people and different cultures and different races, sure enough, 
that that exposure and the leadership, the appropriate leadership from Shepard to be like, hey, these are your teammates. You're going to treat them like it. It changes her mindset. And she is, and she embraces this understanding over the fear, over the distrust of working with aliens. And in more than one case, she advocates saving alien lives at the expense of human ones. She does this. If you are a paragon shepherd, if you constantly push back on that, that, that xenophobic kind of culture and, and mindset that she has, if you push back eventually and you don't sacrifice her at Vermeer, this is why I was saying, if you keep her, if you end her story there, she won't progress. But if you don't, even at the end of mass effect one, you bring her to the Citadel uh, council chambers and you defeat Saren. And then there's the option to save the council or not save the council. Mm-hmm. If you're the Paragon Shep and you've constantly been working with Ashley like that, depending on who you bring, she will advocate for saving the council, mm-hmm. knowing fully well that there will be tens of thousands, probably, of human lives lost to save the alien council. That same Citadel council that forced her grandfather to resign because of his racism. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an arc here. There's definitely some character growth. Exactly. And it doesn't end there. She admires Grunt, <laughs> who I, Grunt is hilarious, but she <laughs> right. admires Grunt. So yeah. who, who doesn't admire Grunt? And she compliments his, quote, badassery. And if he dies in Mass Effect 3, she also expresses some profound grief. Mm-hmm another alien. Right. Right, And I'm not, I'm not saying that like, you know, I'm not saying like, Oh, you know, like I'm not, I'm not falling into that, that total racist trope of like, I'm not racist because I have friends of a different color. Right. Like that's not what I'm saying. You can still be racist, but it is, it is a counterexample to show that she does empathize and care for somebody who isn't human. Right. Exactly. Sure. And so uh, I'm basically, I'm not pushing back on the, on the claim that she's, she's said racist things and has these racist, uh, ideologies, right? But I am. And that, that's the other back. thing is that we're trying to be nuanced here. So if anybody hears this episode and then lays a very non-nuanced complaint against us and says, "Well, she, I mean, she's definitely not not racist because she has some racial stuff going on." Like that's exactly what we're saying. That's 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 what we just took almost an hour and a half of your time in order to explain is that there's nuance here. Right. Exactly. It's yes. And she starts out racist. She has these anti alien tendencies, but then she seems to grow and also have pro alien tendencies as well. She's a complex thing. It's right. hard to exactly. just level a, a label on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's not, it's, it's it, right. It's nuanced. It's not monolithic. It's not, you know, it's not, People just want black and white anymore. Sorry, right. I'm getting, I'm losing faith in humanity myself. But, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. yeah, she shows humanity. Ironically, she shows humanity to aliens. When she sees dead colonists, she says, I hate fighting in cities. This isn't a battlefield. It's somebody's home. Mm-hmm. An, an irredeemably racist person would not say that. Right. I'm glad we're fighting here because screw those guys. Because they're not, at least this isn't a human settlement, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she treats the other alien squad mates like people, like, like people of equal value. Right. Uh, of equal standing, just as important as she does. And by the end of Mass Effect 3, 
she, I think it's, I think if you're going to say by the end of mass effect three, that Ashley is still just as racist and, and horrible and, you know, like terrible and all these things, then I don't think that we're playing the same game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you just weren't paying attention and didn't really notice the, the growth of the character as is a human trait. We often label somebody by the, the version of them. We met first, we first meet, we it's, it's a shortcut our brains do, right? We go, okay, this is who they are. This is what they're all about. And then, I mean, think uh, here's a good example. Try to imagine somebody's face in your mind. And then next time you meet them, actually look at their face. The version you have in your head of them is like looking at an old picture. They look younger. They look different in your in your mental image of them than they will when you actually look at them. And when you actually look at them, you're going to go, wow, I didn't realize you had wrinkles around your eyes. Or I didn't realize your eyes, your eyes were that blue or whatever. Right. The version we keep and carry around is never the most recent version of that person. It's just kind of how it goes. And and it, we, we can't constantly update our versions of things because our brains would be overwhelmed with information. Exactly. And I, and, and I also want to say, you know, for people who might not pick up on the nuance of it, I'm not making excuses for Ashley here. Those traits were, were, were terrible in my personal opinion. And, and Paragon Shepard is completely justified in, in, you know, being like, Hey, that's messed up. Mm -hmm. And you know, these are your squad mates and you're going to treat them like it. Um, I'm just trying to explain who she is. So, and, and this kind of brings me to my ultimate point that Ashley's character has a redemption arc and a great one at that. If you choose to continue playing the game and interacting with her, you're not going to see it. If you stop playing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if you stop playing and you limit yourself from going down that, 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 that Avenue, then don't complain about what you thought was at the end of the Avenue. Um, the redemption arc. This is my final point about Ashley. The writers clearly wrote Ashley's initially disgusting, distrusting, uh, rhymed a little bit there. Oh. Racist character, a redemption arc. They did. Since the majority of players, and here's the real irony about it, right? The majority of players who I've talked to who who think that Ashley's racist and they don't like her, they sacrificed her on Vermeer, right? They're like, you're getting the can, you're dead. Well, here's the irony. The, the vast majority of players are Paragon players. Uh-huh meaning that there's a decent overlap between the people who are Paragon and the people who sacrificed Ashley. But if you're a Paragon shepherd, you had the opportunity to change her to, to, to have her grow. Right. And right. you just ended her life. Yeah. And the other really ironic part of it is that if you're a Paragon shepherd and you sacrificed her in Vermeer, you completed her redemption arc. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You did right. because she gets, she sacrifices herself. She volunteers for it and says she wants it. She sacrifices herself for alien lives mm -hmm. and she cleanses her family name. Yeah. And it's funny because all of this stuff wraps back around to the whole religious aspect of it because sacrifice or grace and mercy, all of those things are highly discussed in the realm of religious beliefs and faith. Right. And you don't have to be religious for those things to be powerful because they're fundamentally powerful. Exactly. Yeah. She practices complete selflessness in that, in that mission in Vermeer and says, no, get out of here. Save the Lieutenant. I got this. And 
whether or not that's purely because she just wants to cleanse her family name, which I doubt people don't do those things out of just reputation. Uh, I think that it's a, a selfless act anyway. And what happens in mass effect two is if, if you sacrifice her, you might hear it in the background on Citadel. She's actually awarded two very, very high awards in the Salarian military and the Turian military. They give her the highest awards yeah. possible and she's the first human to ever receive them that's cool and so uh so it, it is pretty ironic that if you're a paragon shepherd and you choose to sacrifice her because you hate her you've actually done it done her a service arguably <laughs> in the narrative <laughs> right um right but that's not to say that like she's better off dead like no and that's not what i'm saying um I just, I find it so, I find it sad that so many focus on the first minutes of meeting her and ignore the entire character development that's there, mm -hmm. which can end in her sacrificing her life to save those aliens. Um, that's personally my favorite arc that it really is because, uh, I, I can get more into it, but the long and short of it is that I like romancing Ashley. We've talked about how Wait, much what? I like <laughs> we talked about how much I like meaningful tragedy, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite ways to play this game is to romance Ashley and then sacrifice her on Vermeer. Right. Right. That like the greatest meaning, the biggest sacrifice for you and for her that has me like you, that's it's kind of a poetic end. Right. It's a very yeah. poetic end. It's, it's almost Shakespearean. Sure. Um, yeah. And I, I think that that is my favorite arc because like I just said, you know, there's this meaningful tragedy and she goes through her, her character development arc and she gives her life for other aliens and she dies and she redeems her family name. Um, that was once tainted by, you know, her, her, her grandfather, General Williams. So Ashley's development is arguably far more advanced. Uh, then Presley's, you know, who I saw brought up in the chat previously. Navigator Presley is giving credit. He's often giving credit in, in online Mass Effect forums. I, you know, I lurk in a lot of them. I'm there. I see this. <laughs> Navigator Presley is given so much credit for realizing how wrong his racist xenophobia was. And the reason is because the game serves it to you on a silver platter. Right. It's really easy to find. Yeah. He's very racist when you first talk to him in Mass Effect 1 no matter how many times you go back to talk to him, he has a very limited amount of things that he's going to say. Mm -hmm. So you can't really get to know him that well. Yeah. And you can't miss it and you can't miss it. Right. And then in mass effect two, when you go back to where the Normandy crashed, you can find his data pad, his journal where he, he, he says it's so on the nose. He says, I was wrong about the aliens. They're great. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're great teammates and Shepard was right. And I see the error of my ways now. Mm -hmm. I was using a red marker when I was discussing things before when you met me, but now I'm using a green marker. <laughs> like, like this is clearly a different thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so Presley is given so much credit for getting over his racism because the writers put it on the fucking nose. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. You know what I mean? They're, understand a little bit more no, nuance, maybe. I don't know. But Ashley's development is, is arguably far more advanced 
because it takes place over the course of three games and you have to talk to someone and pick up on subtle incremental change, yeah, which, but, I which is more real, which is more real, because if you're somebody who's dealing with these kinds of internal issues and then you realize you're dealing with these issues and then you're trying to make actual substantial changes to your personality and the things you do and the way you interact with other people and you're, you're shy about it and you don't want to be called out for it, you know, like there's a lot that goes on with that. And that takes years to work through. Yeah, it does. And, and so it's it's not surprising. It takes incremental change. You're not going to see this vast overnight change like you did with Presley. Like, oh, I was so wrong. And now, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's that's my spiel. That's my spiel on on the sassy, yeah. quite badassy <laughs> with or badassy with quite the fine chassis uh, warrior poet Ashley Williams. All right. Well, it's, it's a lot of evidence. I hope you. Uh help some people reconsider some things about her or maybe even try a different playthrough and, and see a side of her that they didn't see before. Hey, you know what? If I can go a full renegade playthrough <laughs> and lose a lot of people and, 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 you know, make a lot of terrible decisions. Uh, I, I think that everyone else can bear one playthrough of this game where you save Ashley and talk to her. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And the, the irony there is that like, oh, well, she's not she uh, she's not dynamic enough to change her opinions about racist people. Well, be dynamic enough to change your opinion about her, maybe. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good point. Or at least good to point. try at least at least give it a try. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and sure. Why not? Like th there's there's a lot of nuance to this. I can understand multiple perspectives on these things. I I like. I, I think that there's always more value in more information and yes. to, to simply say, well, I just won't get more information because I'm happy with this belief is limiting. It, it it's, it's like saying it's, it's like saying, well, the truth might be over there, but I'm not going to go find it because I just don't care that much. I'm just happy with the, the false thing that I'm holding on to right now. Right. Or the, the maybe false thing. You don't even know. You don't even know. Right. 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 I, I'm comfortable because I've made up my mind and that's that. Right. Right. Well, OK. Well, then then don't have such a strong opinion about it, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you didn't vet it. So good job. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, man. Skepticism leaking in here at the end of the show. Not not cynicism. People get those two confused a lot. Uh, the looking for more information and constantly updating your opinion about things perspective. That's called skepticism. If anybody. Doesn't yeah. Know. If you were if you were wrong and then you. Open, and then you find new information that changes your mind. Mm -hmm. That's not called being waffling on a subject. That's called being a fucking adult. That's called being mature and growing as an individual. That's a good right. thing. And that's the very thing that most people who don't want to do that will complain about other people not doing. <laughs> human irony all right dude well this is this has been an episode where i think we're gonna get a lot of letters and uh it's gonna be fun but maybe so um maybe so. <laughs> chat thank you for being here i love all the opinions here in the chat um you got it anything you want to shout out before we get going yeah of course um so at the beginning of this episode i mentioned that i'm gonna be at pax west if any of you are listening and you see me at pax west I am more than happy to talk to you. So don't be shy. Come up and talk to me. Uh, I might be working if you see me there on Friday, but I will be there on the weekend too. And trying to find out what I can find out about anything as it pertains to mass effect. So I'll be there. Come and see me. And that's going to be on Labor Day weekend. And if, if you don't you know what he me. looks like, look up the mass effect Lorecast YouTube channel. Give us a sub over there. We're getting closer and closer to a thousand subs. We're very close. Yes, we are. Um, so yeah, I just saw that. Yeah. Go drop us a sub and, uh, 
go look at our faces. He's the he's the handsomer one. So go go find him. I'm 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 the younger one, but if, if my job has anything to say about it, I'm gonna eclipse Tom and how old I look. So oh, no. Oh no. <laughs> um no, but I'll be there. I'll be there. Um and I'm also streaming. Uh, so of course I'm streaming on sassy shepherd Saturdays. That is not going to change. Uh, even with my new work schedule, that's not going to change sassy shepherd Saturdays. Uh, the rest is subject to change. So if you want to find some mass effect, uh, and talk to me about lore, you can find me on Twitch at in seven, the legend and the same handle on Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I've been streaming a lot more. I've got this new thing I'm doing where I'm back to streaming again now that I don't I get less. I was getting less migraines and then Monday night I had a migraine, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm better now. I got better. Um, but I have I have committed to now streaming on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays in the afternoons, usually around 1 p.m. Eastern. So think like lunchish time. So if it's lunchtime for you and you want to come hang out with me, this is the way I'm able to hang out with lots of people in the community all at one time. That way I don't have to juggle like private messages and stuff because that's terrible and I'm not good at it and it stresses me out. So I'd rather you come by, hang out, let's chat. We can talk about lore. We can talk about podcasting. If you are into content creation, I'd love to give you some tips and hang out about that stuff or just play games together. There's a lot of, I try lots of different games out playing lots of things all the time. Um, so come hang out with me, twitch.tv slash robots radio. That's what we got for this week, guys. Thanks for being here. We'll see you on Monday night for the patron chat and, uh, have a wonderful weekend. All right. We'll see you guys later. Bye everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.